<laughs> Amen. Take your Bibles out if you would, please. We're going to be looking in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. <clears throat> this is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Mount Olivet Discourse, however you want to phrase that. And from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7 was when Jesus stood on the mountain and preached to the multitude. We're going to be beginning at, reading at verse 1. And in seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he had seated his disciples, <clears throat> they came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to just notice something. And you know, I didn't even notice this until I was reading over it last night. He said, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. But in verse 11, he said, and blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. He makes it very personal. He's talking about all the kingdom of God, and then he brings it down to the individual. Blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted. And they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <clears throat> Verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its favor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Father, we just thank you today, Lord, that in your grace and your mercy, Father, you have made it possible for every person who chooses to put their faith in you to be like Josiah described this morning, a new creation and old things pass away and behold, all things become new. And God, I pray that today every person under the sound of my voice, whether they've made that choice or not, God, that, that they will, Father, seek you, Lord, and that they will Lord, realize that you have made us a light in this world, God, salt of the earth, and God, that we will walk in the things that you have designed and ordained for us. Now, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you give us ears to hear, Lord. Help us to take your word today, God, and apply it to our life, Lord, to walk it out and act on it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the world is a dark place. It really is. I mean, you don't have to look very far, you don't even have to turn on the news, if you even call it news anymore, to see that there's a lot of bad things going on in the world. It's a dark place. And if ever there's been a time for the children of God to let their light shine, 
That time is now. Because darkness is pervasive throughout the world. And you have to wonder, how did the world become so dark? Because after the disciples began to spread the gospel, the gospel spread across the globe. And it continued to spread. But if you, if you read the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation, you go back to those places and you can hardly find any, any hint of Christianity in those places. That's sad. How did that happen? How did evil become so pervasive in the world? How did it spread across the globe and gain so much ground? Now, I'm going to read something for you. You may have read this or heard it. For the benefit of those who haven't, this is a discussion between a, a college student and his professor. It's supposedly true. It actually took place. The professor asked a young man, said, you're a Christian, aren't you, son? Yes, sir. So you believe in God? Absolutely, sir. Well, is God good? Sure. Is God all-powerful? Yes, sir. My brother died with cancer. Even though he prayed to God to heal him, most of us would attempt to at least help someone who is ill, but God didn't. How then is God good? Huh? You can't answer, can you? Let's start again, young fellow. Is God good? Yes, sir. Well, is Satan good? No. Well, where does Satan come from? From God? Professor. That's right. Tell me, son, is there evil in the world? Yes, sir. Evil is everywhere, isn't it? And God did make everything, correct? Yes, sir. So he created evil. Student didn't answer. Professor, is there sickness, immorality, hatred, ugliness? All these terrible things exist in the world, don't they? Yes, sir. So who created them? The student didn't answer. Science says you have five senses you use to identify and observe the world around you. Tell me, son, have you ever seen God? No, sir. Tell us if you've ever heard your God. No, sir. Have you ever felt your God, tasted your God, smelled your God? Have you ever had any sensory perception of God for that matter? No, sir, I'm afraid I haven't. Yet you still believe in him. Yes, sir. According to empirical, testable, demonstrable protocol, science says your God doesn't exist. What do you say to that, son? Nothing. I, I just only have my faith. Ah, yes, faith. And that is the problem that science has. Another student asks, may I ask you a question, professor? Yes. Is there any such thing as heat? Yes. Is there any such thing as cold? Yes. No, sir, there isn't. The lecture theater became very quiet with the turn of events. The student said, sir, you can have lots of heat, even more heat, super heat, mega heat, white heat, a light heat or no heat, but you don't have anything called cold. 
we can hit 458 degrees below zero, which is no heat, but we can't go any further after that. There is no such thing as cold. Cold is the only word, is only a word we use to describe the absence of heat. We cannot measure cold. Heat is energy. Cold is not the opposite of heat, sir, just the absence of it. There was a pin drop silence in the, in the lecture theater. The student continues. What about darkness, professor? Is there such a thing as darkness? The professor, yes. What is night if it isn't darkness? You are wrong again, sir. Darkness is the absence of something. You can have low light, normal light, bright light, flashing light, but if you have no light constantly, you have nothing, and it is called darkness, isn't it? In reality, darkness isn't. If it is, well, you would be able to make darkness darker, wouldn't you? The professor, so what is your point that you're trying to make, young man? The student, sir, my point is your philosophical premise is flawed. Flawed? How can you, can you explain that? <clears throat> the student says, sir, you are working on the premise of duality. You argue there is life and then there is death. There's a good God and a bad God. You are viewing the concept of God as something finite, something we can measure. Sir, science can't even explain a thought. It uses electricity and magnetism, but it is never seen, much less fully understood, either one. To view death as the opposite of life is to be ignorant of the fact that death cannot exist as a substantive thing. Death is not the opposite of life, just the absence of it. Now tell me, professor, do you teach your students that, that they evolve from a monkey? The professor, if you're referring to the natural evolutionary process, yes, of course I do. The student, have you ever observed evolution with your own eyes, sir? The professor shook his head with a smile, beginning to realize where the argument was going. The student said, science, uh, excuse me, since no one has ever observed the process of evolution at work and cannot even prove that this process is an ongoing endeavor, are you not teaching your opinion, sir? Are you not then uh, not a science, scientist, but a preacher? The classroom broke out in an uproar. The student said, is there anyone in the class ever seen the professor's brain? The classroom broke out in laughter. The student says, is there anyone here that has ever heard the professor's brain, felt it, touched it, smelled it? No one appears to have done so. So according to the established rule of empirical, stable demonstrational protocol, science says that you have no brain, sir. With all due respect, sir, how do we trust your lecture? The room was silent. The professor stared at the student, his face unfathomable. The professor says, well, I guess you'll just have to take it by faith, son. And he said, that is it exactly, sir. The link between man and God is faith. And it is all that keeps, keeps things alive and moving. Now, it has been said, and that's, that argument was attributed to Albert Einstein was the student. 
Critics have debunked that and said that it was not Albert Einstein and he didn't believe in God and all that. Church, I could care less who said it. Marcel Ledbetter could have made that argument for all I care. It's not a matter of who said it. Missing the point. The fact is that it's true. Amen? It's true. Now, I don't read this to prove the existence of God this morning, but to highlight that the world has become a cold, dark, evil place. Not because cold has quenched the fire, not because darkness overtakes the light, and neither has evil triumphed over good. As the article points out, cold is the absence of heat and darkness is the absence of light. And evil is the absence of God's goodness being shed abroad in the world. This world's a dark place. Anywhere you go, it hasn't always been that way. How did it become so dark? You take out the light. Where are you when the lights go out? What's the old saying? Where are you when the lights go out? You're in the dark. The goodness of God has diminished in the hearts of people. And as a result, mankind has given way to evil. And the fire of God has been allowed to go out, making way for coldness and indifference to enter in. So the light of God is dimmed, leaving only a dark world filled with foolish people stumbling around, trying to find their way to a meaningful life. And that is true. Last week, I was referring to the movie, The Jesus Revolution. And in that movie, it's actually, it's historically accurate about what happened. And I I shared with you that Jeannie and I, and this church, as as a matter of fact, is the result of that revolution. It's what turned my life around and, and, uh, got me back on track. And, and in that um, sermon last week, I, I made mention that uh, Lonnie Frisbee told Chuck Smith, said, people are searching. He said, searching for what? He said, they're searching for God, man, <laughs> in his hippie way. They're searching for God, man. But they're looking for the right thing in all the wrong places. And that's true. The people are wandering around searching for something, but they're wandering around in the dark. You can't find anything in the dark. The only way you're going to find something is when there's light and you turn the light on. And that's true. It is the same lie that Satan has been peddling from the Garden of Eden. God gave us everything that we need. We don't need anything that Satan offers. He gave everything that Adam and Eve needed in the garden. One thing he told them not to do. And Satan said, look at the tree. Isn't it good? In other words, this is not going to give you joy and happiness and peace and fulfillment. But this will. Why don't you try some drugs? Why don't you try some sex outside of God's covenant? It'll make you feel good. Some, all the activities in the world or possessions following the latest fad, enough sports, maybe that'll make me happy. People's hobbies. Listen, some of those things are not bad things, but if that's what you're pursuing to try to fulfill that void in there, it will never fill that void. 
If I can just get that promotion, if I can just get that guy, if I could just get that girl, that's gonna, that's gonna do it. If I could just get the recognition that I deserve, if I could be famous. But we've heard the stories over and over again, people that have be, became wealthy, people that have became famous, and they were suicidal, they were empty, and they were, there was a void in their life because that doesn't fulfill you. It's the tree, see that it's good. And we partake of it, partake of it thinking that it's gonna give us the joy and the happiness, the fulfillment that we seek. And that cannot be found anywhere but in Christ Jesus alone. Amen. He said, I will give you joy that is beyond your understanding, peace that passes understanding. And it's true. So at the end of all those pursuits, there's still that void. Lonnie Frisbee told him, he said, he said, oh, how did you come to this? Chuck Smith asked him. He said, I just finally came to the end of it all. And when I got to the end of it all, there was still that void inside that I couldn't feel. Man was created to be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose for which we were made. When God formed man out of the dust of the earth, the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Why? Because he breathed into him his spirit. Man, Adam had the spirit of God in him, and he was an eternal being. And he told him, I'm placing you in the garden, every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but if you eat from the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And when he ate of the tree, the spirit man inside of him died. And from Adam all the way up until Jesus, every person was born with a dead spirit. They had no life in them, although they had been created to be the dwelling place for the spirit of God. And God made a way for you and I to once again be a spirit-filled being. Through Jesus Christ. That's why it's so significant, and you need to understand this. When Jesus had died on the cross, he'd gone to the tomb, he had ascended to the Father, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and he's back in the upper room with the disciples. Remember, the Bible says that they were in the room with the door shut, and he appeared in the room. The first thing he did is that after he said these things, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. That is so significant. And if we see that, he is doing the same thing he did in the Garden of Eden. For the second time in human history, man once again became the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says, if Christ be in you, you are a living creature. You are a newborn. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Why? Because the Spirit of God comes inside of you. You become what he designed you to be, the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Amen? I meet people that say, how are you doing? What do I say? Supernatural. How are you doing this morning? If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you are supernatural. You may not know it, but God knows it because he has breathed into you the breath of life and you became a living being once again. Your spirit now has come alive because your spirit and his spirit became one. There is a part of you that's perfect. 
It is perfect. It is flawless. Why? Not because of you, but because of him dwelling in you. But there's also a part of you that is imperfect. We're a triune being. We have a body which is imperfect. We have a spirit which is born of his spirit that is perfect. And Paul said that they are contrary one to each other. They are polar opposites. They're constantly battling. And in the center is your soul, your mind, your will and emotions. And it's your control center to decide, am I going to yield to my spirit that has been reborn? Or am I going to yield to my flesh that is constantly dying? The Apostle Paul says, I have to buffet my body to keep it under subjection, lest I preach to you and I myself become a castaway. So what is that saying? The Spirit of God is in me to draw me and woo me and lead me and guide me and to tell me to do this, but don't do that. My flesh is over here. It's seeing all the things that pleases the flesh, and it's wanting to do that and things God told me not to do. Don't do the things he told me to do. And I got to decide, who am I going to listen to? One's pulling me this way, one's pulling me that way. Who am I going to listen to? Listen, the more time you spend in this, the more time you spend in worship, the more time you spend in prayer, you're going to listen to your spirit. Why? It's like the old guy says, well, which, you got two dogs out here. Which one's going to be the, 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 the strongest and the meanest? the one you feed the most. Amen? So the feed my spirit, it's gonna be stronger. But if all I do is feed my flesh, you know, there's a lot of things out there we can feed our flesh. You know, I'm a big song lyric guy. I think it's spiritual. Songs are spiritual, they're very spiritual. I think a lot of songs are inspired by God. The songs we sing on Sunday morning, a lot of those are inspirational songs that God has put in the hearts of men and they pinned it down to express their, their love for Jesus. You know, I believe that's spiritual. But there's also some songs in the world that's spiritual too, and it's another God that's writing those. And if you're feeding yourself too much of that, and I'm not saying all secular mu music is evil. There, there's actually some secular songs that I like. They're pretty good. They're meaningful. But some of them, you don't need to be feeding yourself that stuff. Amen. I used to be a big, big, big time country music guy. Now, if you're listening to country music, don't get mad at me. But I realized one day I'm listening to that and I didn't like my women on the trashy side. I didn't want somebody propping me up by a jukebox when I die. You know, so why am I going to feed my spirit that stuff? You understand? So I changed the channel. I magnify the Lord. I praise the Lord. I'm feeding my spirit so that when I'm in this battle and, and it's a war, the Bible says we're, we're, we're at war. And he says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination. And every high thought that exalts itself against God, bringing into captivity those thoughts to the obedience of Christ. How do I do that? Because I feed my spirit and I'm in that battle and I decide who am I going to yield to? I'm going to yield to the spirit because I fed my spirit. Amen? Well, that was, wasn't in my nose, but there you go. Anyway, the world's a dark place. It's a dark place. 
You say, well, pastor, we know that, but what can I do about it? I'm glad you asked that question. Anybody ever felt that? It's like, I know it's dark, but what can I do? I'm one person. What can I do? Most of the great accomplishments in Scripture began with one person. Think about it. God always, he, sometimes he calls a people, but usually he calls a person, an individual. Noah, perfect in his generation. Abraham, he called him out of the earth of the Chaldees. Joseph, Gideon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. All 12 of the disciples, he called them one by one. He called 70, or at least he had 70. He sent them out two by two, 70. Then he had a teaching one day, and they said, that's a hard saying. And 58 of his church members walked out. He only had a congregation of 70 people, and 58 walked out. Now, according to pastoral rule, that's, you're not doing a very good job if you lose 58 members in one swipe. What happened? They let their light go out. Because he's talking to them. You're the light of the world, he said. But God calls one person, and one person can make a difference. Acts 17, verse 6, I found this interesting. It says, when they had found, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren of the, to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Who, who is he talking about that's turned the whole world upside down? Well, it was Paul and Silas and Timothy. Three people turned the whole world upside down. He's talking about the disciples, those that's going around with this message. They're turning the world upside down, and now they're here. And they couldn't find them, so they found Jason, the man that he was staying with, and just drug him to the, to the ruler of the city. The point is this, church. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. How many of you really believe that? Yeah. I can make a difference. I want you to say that. I can make a difference. I can make a difference in this world. Now, you may not think you can, but trust me when I tell you, God said you can. Who's right, him or you? If he says I can and I say I can't, who's right, God or me? So how do I make a difference? I let his light shine. See, it's not my light. It's his light. Well, how do I do that? Everybody's loves, I, I want to let his light shine, but how do I do that? Church, it's not nearly as complicated as we make it. Because we see what other people do, and we think, well, I've got to do that. Last week, I mentioned the fact that there was a guy that at a family reunion, it was a family gathering. It was actually a funeral. His daughter came to me and says, my dad thinks he's going to heaven, and he doesn't even know he's lost. You know, and I, I, I pointed that out to you, and, and then I said, fast forward, before he died, he was a deacon in his church, committed his life to Christ, and I'm so glad that he did. 
But I don't want to leave you with the opinion that, well, the only way I can make a difference is I got to be a deacon in the church or a pastor or a great evangelist or a teacher or this or that. It's not as complicated as you think to let his light shine. In fact, it's the, it should be the most natural, easiest thing you've ever done in your life is to let his light shine. Why? Because he will lead you. See, we're always trying to look at what God give me the end of the plan, the big plan. And I pointed this out the other week when I was talking about on the wrong side of the Jordan. He, he didn't give them the whole plan of how they're going to conquer the promised land. He said, put your foot in the Jordan. See, that's all we got to do is hear the next order and obey it. That's right. what, do we, what, what do you want me to do, God? And he didn't say, well, I want you to do this and go around Jericho and then we're going to go to Ai and then we're going to go there. He didn't do all of that. What do you want me to do? Cross the Jordan. I can do that. Took the priest, they put the Ark of the Covenant, they walked out in the center of the Jordan, it parted just like the Red Sea did. In fact, somewhere in the Jordan, there's a pile of 12 stones. They made an altar in the center of the Jordan that day. So God, see, here's the thing. If God says, do this and you obey him, he will do the rest. How many of you ever had the, the inspiration to share Christ with somebody? You had no idea what to say, but you just stepped out in faith and you said something and all of a sudden it starts coming just like somebody's reciting things in your spirit to say. Anybody ever experienced that? Well, did God just do it? No, you had to, to take the first step. And when God leads you to do something, he will lead you. All you have to do is just step out and do what he's telling you to do. And it's usually something so natural and so simple. Because we think it's got to be this big grandiose thing and it's not like that. He will lead you. The question is, will you follow? Let's look at it again. Matthew chapter five, verse 14. He said, what does he say? You are. Everybody say that. You are. He didn't say, I wish I was, or I'd sure like to be, or if only I could be. No, he said, you are the light of the world. You, a city that is set on a hill, it cannot be hid. In other words, church, if the spirit of God is dwelling in you and you let his light shine, you cannot hide it. You cannot hide it. Have you ever met somebody and there was just something about them? You didn't know what it was, but there was something about them and you perceive they've got to be a child of God and you get, maybe find out it's like, and you find out they're a Christian. They carry that with them. You can't hide it. And let me tell you something. The world sees it. Maybe you don't even see it yourself, but other people do. They see it. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 15 says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but they put it on a candlestick. Now think about that just a minute. It doesn't just pop up there on its own. We're right back again. Am I going to let my light shine or am I going to hide it under a bushel? I've got to make the choice. 
because it's not going to just shine on its own. I've got to put it on the lampstand. It's a deliberate action on your part. Are you getting this, church? It's a deliberate action on your part, and it is so easy and so simple. We complicate it. Satan tries to complicate it. It's too big. You can't do that. You can't live that good. You can't. Yes, you can. God said you are the light of the world. That light cannot be hid. If you'll just put it on the lampstand, it will light the world. Put it on the lampstand, he says, and it'll give light to the whole house. In other words, all of those poor souls that is stumbling around seeking a life that has meaning can see what they're actually searching for when you turn the light on. Verse 16 says, so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Now, right there, is, that is a key phrase because you think, well, how can, I be, how can I let my light shine? By the things you do every single day. Yeah. Being a child of God, doing the right thing, doing what you know you should do. Letting your good works shine so that the glory of, of your Father, your, God can be glorified in, in heaven. Now, <clears throat> the condition of mankind is not because there's so much evil in the world. It is not because there's so much darkness in the world. The problem, church, is there's not enough light. There's not enough light. And why? We did a thing here years ago, and, and, and uh, I heard this, this guy give an illustration. It was a true story, actually. He went in his big walk-in closet, and he was looking for something. The light was off in, in the... Uh, in the house, it was during the day, and his daughter came by and saw his closet door open and just shut it. And he said, hey, I'm in here. She opened the door, and he's like, wait a minute. Do that again. Do what? Shut the door. She shut the door. He said, now open it up. She opened it up. He said, do that again. She shut the door. He said, open it up. He said, you know what God showed me? Every time she opened that door, light invaded the void. When the door was shut, I was in darkness. But when the door was open, light invaded the void. And church, that's what's happening today. The light is under a bushel. The door is shut. And because there's no light, then there is darkness. And therein is the problem. Being a light is a deliberate action. You say, but I don't know how. You don't have to know how. God will lead you, but you have to follow him and you have to do it deliberately. The whole reason for God raising up this church was to be a light in this community. Yes. Now listen, I, if, if it sounds like boasting, forgive me, I'm not trying to boast. I'm stating something that I believe to be true. And, and just, just me being me, I, I, I maybe say things that I shouldn't say sometimes, but this morning when you guys were greeting and going out and coming in, I said, isn't it nice to be in a church where people actually like each other? I'm just being goofy myself, you know. But isn't that true? 
Now, that doesn't mean we've always had perfect harmony in CVAG, but this has been a church that I, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody else, all right? But this has been a church where we wanted the Spirit of God to have liberty. We welcome the Holy Spirit in our service every single time we come together. And I believe that it's a light in the community. It was a light that took a long time for some people to see because they didn't know who we were, what we were. They didn't know where we kept our rattlesnakes and all that when we first opened up, you know. Just for the record, I'm joking. No, I'm, ki- I'm not kidding. Some people's like, do they have snakes down there? There's a lady came by my house. I'm building my shop when we first planted the church. And she's like, what's he building? I said, tell him it's a snake pit. It's where we keep all our rattlesnakes. But you know, but people didn't know who we were, what we were. It took a while for people to see, look, this is, they're, they're legit. Jesus Christ really is alive there. The people actually know him and they love him. One guy came and says, he left and he said, those people down there pray like they know God. Thank you. Said so they pray like they actually know God. Now there are other, other lights in our community, but, and, and, and I, I applaud them. I pray for them. I praise God for them. I pray that their light shines, outshines our light. I do. I want the light of God. I don't care where it comes from. But we're responsible for this light. Amen. You are responsible for this light. Everybody do this. I'm responsible for this light. I am the light of the world. Not because I think I'm all that, but because God said so. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine, he said. Let it shine. Because there's people stumbling around in the dark trying to find a meaningful light. They're in the closet. The door's shut. And he's like, well, somebody please just open the door so I can see. And they're looking for Jesus. Lonnie said they're looking for God, man. But they're looking for the right thing in all the wrong places. Why? It's dark. They... And why is it dark? There's no light. No light. Now, if my light shines, it is because I've decided to make a difference. How do I do that? I told you it's easy, it's natural. It's your testimony. He said, Well, I'm not good at talking to people. I'm not talking about talking to people. I'm talking about your testimony. What is your testimony? Your testimony is not necessarily what you say. I mean, not that it's you going up and like, here, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me give you my testimony. I mean, that is a testimony, but that's not what I'm talking about. Your testimony is everything that you do. Your good works. That's your testimony. And we may never know what... Our testimony is doing somebody else's life because you may not know it, but they are watching you. They're all, oh, you're a Christian. They're watching everything you do. When you're at work and things goes bad, do you blow your cool and cuss somebody out? They're watching you. Already throwing tools across the floor. They're watching you. You know, when you're out with your wife, are you treating her with respect? 
when you're with your children, is it all about you? And is it they're just do the best you can. I hope you make it. I made it. You'll make it too. Suck it up. They're watching you, right? Other people that's in need, that's their problem. Let them worry about it. They're watching you. Guy over here, listen, I know the panhandler sat on the, on the island there every time you pass by, wanting you to give them some money. You're like, oh, all they want is money for drugs. I, now, I don't, I don't give out money to every one of them, but let me tell you something. Every once in a while, I'll roll the window down and I'll hand him a dollar. I don't care what you do with it. God told me if I turn my eyes from the poor, I shall cry out to God and not be heard. I don't know how the guy got there. I went by, I'm not bragging, but listen to me. I had some tithe money in my billfold I hadn't given anywhere one day. And, and uh, I'm, I'm driving down the road and here's a gray-haired older man in the island panhandling. And I'm like, God, I don't care how he got there. That is heartbreaking. That man, that age, out here begging for what, whatever he's begging for. And I'm getting ready to go to Missions Barbecue and have a nice meal. How many of you go to Missions Barbecue? If you get there at 12 o'clock, they sing the national anthem. You got to make it at 12, though. Everybody in the restaurant stands up, takes their hat off, and they sing the national anthem. Bam. My kind of place. I'm going in there to have a nice meal. I parked the truck. I went over there. I said, sir, can I talk to you a minute? Because I want to see what his deal is. I said, I'm getting ready to go in Missions Barbecue and have a meal. Would you like to come with me? He said, I, I, I would. He said, but I need to stay out here. I got to try to make as much as I can. He said, I know people think I just want alcohol and drugs. He said, I swear to you, I don't use any of that. He said, my wife, she's, and he told me something was wrong with her. And, and he said, I, I work when I can. He said, I, I, I'm an electrician. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, um, he said, actually, I work, sometimes I work with a pastor. I said, is that right? And I said, what's your name? And he gave me, I won't call his name. Well, he happened to be a pastor in our district. Dwayne. I said, where does he work? Well, most of the time in Shenandoah. I knew he's giving me legit because he works in Shenandoah Valley most of the time. He said, but he doesn't have that much work that I can do, you know. And he said, I'm doing all I can do. And he said, and it's just not enough. So I pulled out. It was a pretty good piece of money. I said, well, here, maybe that'll help you out. I said, sir, I'm so sorry that, that you're out here having to do this. Come on, they're watching you. Are you hearing me, church? That's their problem. Let them worry about it. They're watching you. That's your testimony. Not just what you say. Everything that you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need to have some other epistles of accommodation to you or letters of accommodation from you? Verse 2 says, you are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not in ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is on your heart. Church, God is writing a letter in your life. He's writing a letter for people to read because you are known and read by people that you don't even know that's watching your life. 
You're an epistle. Epistle means a letter. You're a letter. You're a book. You're a book that's being read by people all around you and you don't even know they're reading your book. Now, if that book is full of light and I keep the book shut, how are they ever going to see the light? They will remain in darkness. So I have to open the book and let his light shine. And then the world won't be such a dark place anymore. It's dark because there's an absence of light. I'm not rebuking you, church. I'm trying to encourage you. You can make a difference. You can do this. See, the enemy tries to tell us, well, I'm not all that. What can I do? I'm just one person. I don't have this. I can't get up there and preach like Pastor B. And I... You don't have to do any of those things. Just follow him. When he tells you, you ought to do this, then do it. And it's usually nothing more than a thought. Well, I really ought to. Somebody told me the other day, and I won't embarrass him. He said, I was riding down the road. I saw these people doing these things and said, something told me I ought to help those people out. And so he said, finally, I turned in there and I helped them out. You know what that did? That was a testimony to every person that he went in there and helped out because that's exactly what I'm talking about. And it was as natural and as easy as breathing to him. You get a thought, the right thing to do right now would be this. If you get that inside there, then do it because that's God telling you, this is what I'm leading you. Will you follow me? And when you do, and it's an epistle that's being read by men that that guy says he's a Christian and he actually acts like he's a Christian. He acts like he knows God. He lives like he actually knows God. That's the light that they're looking for. You are the light of the world. God will lead you if you just follow him. Amen? How many believe that? Will you say amen? He'll lead you if you just follow him. And it's as easy and as simple. Now, in closing, last week I just, uh, I think it was spontaneous, inspired by the Spirit. I started quoting some lyrics from one of Don Francisco's songs. I don't care how many buses you own, the size of your sanctuary. I don't care how steep your steeple is or if it's sitting on a cemetery. I don't care if you've paved your parking lot, put pads up on your pews. What good is a picture-perfect stage if you're missing all the cues? Right? I don't care if your preacher's super-powered your program's always new. What you need is love and hope, and men are going to come to you. I don't care if you know the Bible, if it's all just in your head. The thing I need to ask you is, have you done the things I've said? And I stopped there. Let me finish it. Do you love your wife? For her and for your children, are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant to your sisters and your brothers? Does the poor man have to beg you for a bone? Do the widows and the orphans cry alone? I don't care if you pray for miracles. I don't care if you speak with tongues. I don't care if you say you love me in every song you've sung. It doesn't matter if your sacrifice of praise is loud enough to raise the dead. The thing I need to ask you is have you done the things I've said? Do you love your wife? 
for her and for your children? Are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant to your sisters and your brothers? Does the poor man have to beg you for a bone? Do the widows and the orphans cry alone? Lord, when did we see you sick and we didn't come to you? When were you a stranger and we didn't follow through? Every time you turned your head and pretended not to see, when you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. Do you love your wife? For her and for your children, are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant to your sisters and your brothers? Does the poor man have to beg you for a bone? Do the widows and the orphans cry alone? Now, when I say that, I look in the mirror and I say, Bernie, you're a failure. When I look at you, you probably say, I'm a failure. Because all of us come short of those things. And so we say, I can't do this. And that's the lie of the enemy, to get you to stop and to quit. Because there's been so many times that I have failed people. I've failed some of you. What do you do? What do you do when you've failed and you've come short? What you do is like, look, I know I failed you. But what you need to know is I didn't fail you because I just don't care. I didn't fail you because I wasn't trying. I'm weak. Maybe I don't know enough. I didn't, wasn't discerning enough. Maybe I was just unwilling. Whatever the reason, I'm not making excuses. I'm saying, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And I'm going to try to do it better the next time. And if I fail again, I'm sorry. I'm not making excuses for myself. I'm not forgiving myself or excusing myself. I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm going to do better the next time. And if you fail a thousand times upon a thousand times, you say, I'm sorry. And I may fail another thousand times, but I will never stop trying to do it right. I'm headed for perfection. The Bible tells us what the Bible calls working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Perfection is number 10, and that's my goal. If I set the goal at 10 and I only make it to six, that's better than setting it five and making it to five, right? So don't set the goal low. The goal is being like Jesus, right? Christian means Christ-like. And a lot of times we feel like, well, because I can't reach that goal, I just quit, I give up, I can't do this. Let, the, let the, the, the anointed people, the good people do that. Listen, there are no good people. There's not the good them and the bad me. We're all the same. And we are all the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Don't let the enemy lie to you and you keep your book closed. Open it up and let his light shine out so that others can see. And it may be something as simple as saying a blessing over your food. 
you know, I'm getting ready to eat and there's a bunch of people around. I'm in a restaurant or somewhere. It's like, I'm worried about being embarrassing myself. God told me to receive this with thanksgiving, right? Didn't he say that? Jeannie, I'm not bragging, don't get me wrong, but I've learned this. We go to Cracker Barrel, it's the only place to eat. Wherever we are, I'm, I'm trying to be funny. What do we do, honey? Reach across the table. Same thing I do at my house. Why am I not going to do it because people's? No, we need, we need to do it because people's watching. And I'm not blur, blurting it out. Although Smith Wigglesworth did. He went to a restaurant one time and he said, dear God, and he started praying on his food and people began weeping all over the restaurant. Why? The light was shining. And when the light comes in, darkness is convicted. So it might be just something as simple as you're sitting down getting ready to eat your fried chicken. He's like, dear God, I just want to thank you for this fried chicken. Thank you that I can come into a place, hand a person a piece of paper and have food set in front of me. There's places around the world people are starving to death, but I can walk in here and hand a piece of paper to somebody and they set a full meal right in front of me. We're so blessed. Thank you, God. Thank you. And people see that and they're like, Wow. What is that all about, you know? Why am I not thankful? And when God puts that thought in there, I, I ought to do, the right thing to do right now would be, then do it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me if you would? Our candidates for baptism, if you go ahead and get ready, we're gonna be doing a baptismal service again this Sunday, so if you guys will bear with us. If I get my assistance up here, please. The little song says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Can I correct that? Because it bugs me a little bit. First of all, it's not my light. This little light of his. Second of all, it's not little. It's huge. It lights the whole world. Amen? So this big light of His, I'm going to let it shine. Song is right about one thing, though. I'm going to let it shine. Or not. I'm going to let it shine. And sometimes we think, well, that means people are going to get saved as I let my light shine. You know what I've learned? We have very unrealistic expectations sometimes about what we're looking for when we share Christ with people. You know, I, have never, I don't have an evangelistic anointing. When I witness to people, it's, it's rare that it leads to a place where I lead them to Christ in prayer. I've had that happen several times, a number of times. But most of the time... I, I'm a teacher. That's my gifting. That's my anointing. And I can say something to somebody and somebody with a gift of evangelism can come and say the exact same thing and this person will respond to Christ and, and, and become a Christian because there's an anointing for that, right? 
But don't be discouraged if you don't carry that anointing or if it doesn't happen because a lot of times you are not there to reap the harvest. You're there to sow the seed. The Bible tells you some sow, some water, but God gives the increase. I was on a job. We were getting ready to leave Bible college and we didn't have enough money to make it to Connecticut. So I worked an outage at a a, a chemical plant right there in Darlington, South Carolina to get some overtime money to, to move on, you know. And for three days, they put this welder with me, all right? And we're coming to the end of the job and I'm working with him and I'm, I'm just being, I'm, I'm a student in Bible college, you understand, getting ready to finish my fourth year, right? So I'm all about getting people in, in Christ, you know? So I started witnessing this, this young man about the end times, about the rapture and the tribulation and stuff. I'm scaring the bejeebies out of him on purpose. Well, on the third day, he doesn't come in. Well, they had given him his pink slip, his layoff slip that morning because the job was ending. But he'd come and sought me out now. I only worked with him three days. And he said, he said, Bernie, I, I got my layoff. said, I'll probably never see you again. said, but I just wanted you to know before I left. I went home last night and called my grandmother and prayed with her to receive Christ because of what you said. Sowing the seed. So don't be discouraged if it doesn't, you don't, like, well, I don't see anything happening. It's happening. It's happening. When you sow a seed, you don't go out there and dig back and see is it, you just sow it and leave it alone, right? It's happening. There's a miracle taking place under that soil. And God is watering it. Somebody else is watering it and, and then God's gonna give it the increase. But you be faithful to do what God's called you to do and let him be faithful to do what he does. You can do this and it will make a difference. Amen? Well, praise God. I remember when I was, let me, let me close with this last story and I'm gonna pray. I was welding it when I was going through Bible college. I worked at night shift. We're going seven in the evening until seven in the morning, 12 hour night shift welding all night long. And those guys in there, they, oh man. If you ever work construction, that's a pretty rough environment. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I guess any, a lot of places is like that. Just, just to show you, you don't think it's making a difference. They're watching and there's something happening. One day this guy, and this happened to me a couple of times. The, the guy that gives, like, gives me the worst time of all. You think the one is not getting it at all. It's, the reason a lot of times they're doing that is because they're so convicted by you. He came to me. Nobody else around. He said, Bernie, can I talk to you a minute? I'm like, yeah. I thought this guy hated my guts, man. He said, me and my wife's really having a problem. Would you pray for me and my wife? Because they see your light. And if they need to get a hold of God, they know where they can go to find him. Somebody that's got their light shining. It may convict them. They may not like it. They may push away from it. But when they get to a point where they really need to get a hold of God, they're going to come find you. 
I had one guy, man, he, me and Jeannie were dating. I was getting ready to get married, and they called me preacher and Moses and everything. You know, they dogged me, man, oh, man. And the guy that was the worst of the worst, he came to me the last day I was getting ready to leave, and he's like, Bernie, he said, I know I gave you a hard time while you was here. He said, but I know what you're about. And he said, even though you don't realize it, he said, I do appreciate what you were trying to do. I'm like, man, it makes a difference, guys. It really does. So if you would, just bow your head this morning. If you're here this morning, you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. Listen, God wants to put a light in you. He wants his spirit to come inside of you. You were created to be the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus, you don't realize this, but your spirit man is dead. But God, by the faith in his word, wants to breathe life into your spirit. And if you will just say, God, I just want to surrender my life to you. It's just that simple. We, we, we don't have to make it really complicated. Jesus, I, just, I know I'm not a Christian, and, and I want to surrender my life to you. Will you forgive me and come into my life? Save my soul. God will save you today. So if there's any person in here, you're not a Christian, and you would like Jesus just to transform you today, I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me, please? If you've wandered away from God, you're not right with God today. You just want to find your way back to God. Just say, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. That's all. When close. So would you pray for me, Pastor, when you close? I've drifted away from God. I'm not where I want to be. Maybe I was close to him at one time, but I'm not now. And I'm trying to find my way back. Would you just pray for me? I see your hand. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? I will pray for you, sir. Anyone else? There's another one here. Okay. God bless you. Anyone else? All right, last thing. I haven't been letting my light shine, but Lord... The Lord has shown me today how important it is that I need to let my light shine. All right, if you're here this morning, you maybe you didn't realize I'm the light of the I am the light of the world. His light is in me. It's never occurred to me that I have that power within me, and all I got to do is just let it shine. And maybe that's just been a revelation to you this morning, and you're just wanting to make a commitment to Jesus today. Beginning today, Lord, I am going to open up the book of my life and let your light shine. Would you just lift your hand today as a pledge and a commitment to Jesus? Amen. Amen. I am going to let my light shine, Lord. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, God, to just pour over this place, over this body right now, God to anoint us, O oh God, to do what you have ordained us to do, to be the light of the world. God, I pray that you will just give us the unction of the Holy Spirit to, to lead us with clarity so we know your voice, God. You said, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. God, make our ears tuned in to your voice to know when you're leading us and guiding us, God. And then, Father, I pray that you give us the boldness of the Spirit to step out in faith. And, God, just as I expressed earlier, when we take that first step, Lord, then you just step in and you do the rest. 
So God, I pray for each one of those that says, I'm going to be a light today. God, I pray for this young man and these, this, young, this young lady, these others that have raised their hand today and said, I am not where I once was with Christ. I've drifted away, but I want to find my way back to him. God, I pray that you just flood their spirit right now with your presence, Lord. Embrace them, God, like the father that embraced his son when he returned to him, Lord. Love on them, God. Fill us with your spirit now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.